news, everyone. I'm back, baby. It's Jake C. Lee. I'm great. Everybody else sucks. Oh, oh no. It's every nightmare I've ever had. Excuse me. It's time to check the link. Pretty crazy, huh? <laughs> but it doesn't matter because none of this has anything to do with the show. You know what? You just made the list. <laughs> oh, wait, you serious? Let me laugh even harder. It's all in sports. Sure, we talk about it all the time. Really? No. Game on, everybody. It is all in sports. Jake Seeley, your host, as always. You know where to find me, but maybe not. Maybe you came from our great guest today, my great guest today. Follow me at All In Kid. Also, we talk about a lot of things that are over at The Athletic. If you go to theathletic.com front slash all in sports and you're not subscribed, you can get 30% off using that link, which is very simple because of the name of the show, get 30% off your first year. So you can check out all the articles we have over there. You can check out the draft kit, the NFL draft kit, which is coming out very soon in June already to get you guys ready for drafting way too early, in which we're going to be talking about a lot today as well. But there's other podcasts like Sports Unsealed with myself, Chris Meany, and Brad Ziegler. You can check out Jonah Carey's if you like baseball. There's others like Nando's, the game show on Friday, Step Right Up. There's a ton of stuff. They're even launching ones for every specific team. So if you want to go check all that out, like I said, it's theathletic.com front slash sports. 30% off. You'll love it. So let's get rolling with today's show with, as I mentioned, Graham Barfield of NFL.com, the NFL Network, the creator of Yards Created. There was a lot of creation there, uh, but I didn't want to leave anything out. I was going to ask you anything you want me to mention, but Graham, I'll let you do it. Tell everybody once again, I mentioned where to follow you, but just reiterated everything that you got coming up, everybody that what they should be looking out for that you got in the works. Yeah. Thanks for having me on first and foremost. Uh, you and I have been, uh, I think this is our second podcast together, but you and I have been, you know, talking and uh, friends and whatnot behind the scenes for quite some time. So it's really cool that we're finally getting back on the show together. But yeah, I, uh, we actually over at NFL, we just released a new fantasy app, man. It's pretty cool. Uh, we, it's all new interface. Um, it's going to be, you'll have the ability to stream live games within the app. Uh, you can go download it now on iOS or, um, or wherever, get your, wherever you get your apps right now and kind of test it out, see what you think. Um, new landing page, new content, uh, you know, uh, descriptions, everything uh, should be should be really cool. We're testing it out, and we've kind of been working behind the scenes for the past like eight months to get this thing ready. And um, yeah, the the production and engineering team have done a fantastic job on it, and it's finally out. So go check out the new <laughs> NFL Fantasy app. I don't think a lot of people know that that it's been updated. We haven't really pushed it too hard just yet, just because it's been in back testing. But yeah, definitely go check it out. The, the actual fantasy one, I just want to make sure for everybody out there, not the yeah. NFL one. Okay. No, it's, actually, a little, it's a little confusing. We have the NFL app that has fantasy stuff in there, but then we have also the NFL fantasy app. Okay, That's so if I'm looking at the right one, because I'm doing this actually as you're talking, I want to look at here. Is if I have the right one, it's the one that starts with join a league, and then underneath that is Fabiano's 200 Dynasty yep. Fantasy. Okay, so yep, I got the right us. one? Yep, that's us. Oh, yeah, and then you can watch little videos here. Oh, this is nice. This is a, this is a very well redo. I will I will say. Hey, yeah. look at this. I, we got a live review from Jason. <laughs> <laughs> right Actually, here. here, boom, five stars in the app section. So there you go. You got another five star review for it. So there you go. Even better. That's, this is what I do for my my guests. I give them five star reviews as we're doing the show. Although, right, wait, we're hold on. The show now. We're on the show now. That's it. That's all. That's all we need. Yeah. To that's it. Just end the show. That's all we needed. That's what I brought you on for. <laughs> Promote the fantasy app. Actually, I was going to say, I might downgrade your star review. And let, you got to answer these questions properly. I'm kind of curious. First of all, are you watching Game of Thrones with everybody else? Am I living under a rock? Of I course don't. I am. 
<laughs> Game of Thrones is my thing, man. We've been, for what it's worth, we've been actually reviewing Game of Thrones like after, after every episode on our po- podcast with uh, with Marcus Grant and Michael Fabiano. We get into get some good stuff, but yeah. All right, Dude, so five. Time out. Hold on. Everybody has. I've been doing like I to give you an honest opinion. Like so, Graham is like so. Ian Khan does a show with Nando on our network, and he was uh, he's actually an actor, and for you know he's on shows and TV stuff like that. Um, and I think it was Turn that he was on. I always forget. It was one of those. He played George Washington. So anyway, okay. Um, he wanted to do the podcast because he knows I'm a big Game of Thrones fan. And I my, my initial reaction was what I just said to you. It was like everybody's doing a podcast like really but literally everyone has a game of thrones (laughs) podcast now so i mean we just end up we just talk whatever our crazy theories are and what do we think about the show but man episode five was super super divisive right that's what i wanted to ask you i want to ask which side are you on are you on the i'm ticked off or i really liked it i personally absolutely loved it um i've been rocking with game of thrones pretty much since uh since it first came out and i just think everyone that's kind of thought that it was uh either poorly executed or poorly done just has not been watching game of thrones long enough or knows truly just how brutal this show has been throughout its entirety (laughs) i mean this was never supposed to be a happy ending george right even if he wrote the books at this point this was never supposed to be a happy ending this was supposed to be a well, very, he was very, also interviewed. Very bad ending. He also said, "This is how this is what his books were going to be." He gave them the story. He said he in an interview, and because Ian brought this up to me, I didn't even see that interview that he was talking about until he told me about it. There's an interview where he says, "All the way that they had the characters going in the TV show, this, and this is before this season even came out. Was this is what I told him of what I would do in the books? The only thing I would do differently, or likely do differently, was secondary characters." So. Everything we're seeing play out for all the people that are out there like, all right, George, go write a better book because that's all you need to do. No, this is what he had planned. Yeah. And the, the writing was on the wall. I mean, Danny has literally been burning pork chop sandwiches her entire life on this show. I mean, she in, in season two and season three, I mean, she she burnt down Marine. Yeah. Um, yeah. She burnt down people who wouldn't bend the knee. She's like, it, this is, I'm with you. Like the seeds have been there all along. Like I said, yes, her brother was a PO, like, He's garbage. He sold her into like one of the worst areas possible. But she stood there stone faced like yes. a psychopath watching him melt to death from molten lava gold. Uh, yeah. She had to be pulled back multiple times by Tyrion, John himself. Like all these people have been saying, chill out, stop trying to burn people. Like I, I, it just finally snapped. And from what I'm telling, this is what I said. I'm curious. I'm, I'm assuming you're probably going to agree. But I said, the moment she snapped was not sitting on the dragon looking at the city. Like that was just when she made her decision. She snapped when John pulled back from the kiss. And then she immediately afterwards said, if people watch and remember the show, the words came out of her mouth and she said, okay, it'll be with fear talking yes. about how she was going to rule. Yeah. And, and if you remember too, longtime fans of the show or, or the books will remember too, uh, Amon Targaryen, he was the maester uh, of Winterfell back in season two or season three before he passed. He said a Targaryen in the world, uh, a, a, a Targaryen alone in the world is a very terrifying thing. And yes, well, Danny's alone. She just lost all of her trusted advisors. They've either died or betrayed her. Jon Snow no longer loves her because they're now basically they love each other out of incest. Danny has nobody. Um, I cannot wait to see how they finish the show because I loved the fifth episode. I thought it was easily one of the best episodes, if not the best episode they've done um, without the books. And yeah, I just now I'm just really excited for the the, the final and 
six episodes. All right, so, so put it on record and we'll get into football after this. Uh, what do you think? Who's on the throne and what do you think? Just like a little, I'll, I'll give you where I'm saying this question going is, I actually think there's a chance she kills John. <laughs> I, I actually that. think there's, I think there's a chance too. I will be completely honest. I have no idea. There's so many angles they can go with it now. It's like John doesn't want it, uh, but Danny's clearly mad and John obviously has issues with, with, um, you know, with her honor of basically burning innocent civilians alive. Um, I still think there's a chance that like Sansa or Arya get it too. I mean, there's just so I many. I could say Sansa with Tyrion. Yeah. There's just so many different angles they can go. And Danny is obviously pissed off probably a lot of people by unnecessarily burning, uh, burning <laughs> King's Landing. Well, but, and somebody, and somebody brought wow. up this point is uh, in my whole defense yet, I spent, I feel like, I spent yesterday on Twitter just defending Game of Thrones all day. <laughs> I even tweeted that out. I said, who would have thought I would have lost more followers defending <laughs> Game of Thrones than any fantasy take I've ever had? This is the person who also campaigned for CJ Anderson to be a first round pick back in the day. And I've <laughs> lost more followers this way. <laughs> but I know. But somebody I know. brought up this point. I thought this was really good with the whole fear thing is that how, like if she would have just taken over the city, sat up there, didn't burn anybody or whatever, and they won, they won the city at this point. It, who would have people have chosen to support once the word got out? They would have supported John. The only way to prevent that is to actually burn them alive, and the remaining people are now too scared yes. to support John. Yes, yes, yes. And Danny, back in season seven, season seven, episode one, she wanted to go hit King's Landing hard when she had all yeah. of her armies, all three dragons. I mean, she wanted to go hit them hard, and Tyrion and all of her advisors basically wisely said, no, you do this the right way, and she just got sick of it. Yep. She'd been waiting for so long to take what, what was hers, and she went crazy. All right. So, yeah, definitely I'm keeping my five-star review on your app. There you go. Five-star review. Because, just because of my Game of Thrones analysis. <laughs> just because of that. If I, could I, give you, if I could give you six stars, I would. So <laughs> make sure you're following Graham Barfield. That is the end of the show. Yeah, so that's all we need to do. Let's dive into some actually like, fantasy relevant things. How about that? You know, for people that are less tuning in to listen to fantasy football. Oh, wait. Oh. Wait. We're, we, we do fantasy football stuff? I yeah. Know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> Who cares? It's Game of Thrones. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Okay. What else is there? Do I talk Avengers? We can talk that instead. <laughs> I'm actually not that big of an Avengers fan, which might might bring my stars back down from from five to five to one out of five. But that's another show. Yeah, I prefer, I'll pretend I didn't hear that part. Let's talk about something. Hey, transition. Something I pretend that I, I didn't want to see. How about that? I, I don't. It's disappointing. The Doug Baldwin thing, and I say officially in quotes when I send you. Let's talk about this because he sent out the my watch is done, which very well done to tie in Game of Thrones. But it's disappointing to see it's what we assume is the end of Doug Baldwin's career. The Seahawks let him go. He sent out that tweet. It seems like it's over. That the injuries have taken a toll. We could lament about his career and how underrated he's been despite how great he was. We could do all that, but we got to talk fantasy. So for you, because you want to talk about divisive, this team now has arguably the most divisive wide receiver in this rookie class with DK Metcalf. They also drafted Gary Jennings. They also added 15 more wide receivers like the writing was on the wall. It was apparent that they wanted to cover their bases here. So as of right now, the top two are Metcalf and Lockett, which a comp- with a competition of DJ. Uh, well, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Maybe you say David Moore is number two. So that's where I want to go with this is who do you think steps up the most is it more is it Metcalf is it where were you on Metcalf before the draft all that stuff I mean this is a big open field for you to take over here sure I mean right now without Baldwin the the Seahawks quietly have the six most targets available um I fully expect 
there's no way Seattle can come back out and run the ball in 55, 50%, 56% of their snaps again and lead the league in run rate. They're just, they're going to have to throw more. Game scripts are going to lean more that way. Their defense um, is going to probably be about the same that they were last year, but I, I would imagine there's no way they're going to get in so many scripts where they can just hammer the ball um, and, and run basically uninhibited as long as they want. That being said, though, I think Metcalf is the clear two, um, and then I'm with you. I actually am not convinced David Moore is their three, uh, especially considering they just used a fourth-round pick on Gary Jennings. Um, it's kind of wide open, but the player we all want and, I mean, have to love here is Tyler Lockett. Um, yeah. Coming off, obviously, the most efficient receiver season literally in NFL history. Uh, Jake, last year he led um, – he, he, Led, not only did he lead all receivers in yards per target, he actually reset the receiver record in yards per target for a single season. Wow. Uh, he only saw, yeah, he only saw 76 targets last year, but gained over 1,000 yards. Um, that includes the postseason. Scored 10 touchdowns on 70 re- regular season targets. Again, that efficiency is not going to rebound. That being said, with all of these targets available, I kind of think Tyler Lockett is just, like he's a slam dunk six, like fifth, sixth round pick right now. Yeah, it offsets in a lot of best ball leagues because the exactly the volume will offset the uh, the expected efficiency dip. And yeah, I'm back in on Tyler Lockett in a humongous way again this year. Yeah, I was actually doing the, the, the trivia game show. I was telling you about that we do over at the Athletic on Friday. They asked me a question. They said who led the league. They they did it. It's it's dear Corey. So Corey Parsons Parsons on the show, and he reads a letter like somebody's writing him a letter, and he's like, "I led the league in yards per target." And that's what came to mind. And then he said, drafted out of the, and he said 2004 draft class. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, no, wait, now, wait, hold on. I was like, did John Brown do it? Like, I was like, I was so confused. And as as I told him, I was like, you messed up the question. You had the wrong year of being drafted and you threw me off. So they threw the question out. So nobody ever got to hear that. So there you go. There's a little behind the scenes, but I'm with you. I, I, I like, the same same situation. I'm a Lockett DK Metcalf fan, and I'm a DK Metcalf fan in the terms of even if all these things are confirmed about his agility and his shuttle and all that type of stuff. He could still be Des Bryant. Like he could. He what I keep saying, Graham, and I'll see if you agree with this. Is like I want a receiver like him that turns a 50-50 ball into an 80-20 ball, and it might even be 90-10 with him. Yeah, I fully agree too. Because think about what they're going to ask. Metcalf to do in his first season, right? Like we know Seattle, even though I just wanted this long rant about Seattle's run heavy offense, they're still going to be extremely run heavy. Um, that's going to naturally just limit the routes Metcalf is going to have to run. But in terms of the way they're going to use him, I would fully expect Tyler Lockett to move into the slot um, nearly full right. time when they go into their three receiver sets, which should leave Metcalf on the outside. And he'll only have to run a, in theory, a very limited route tree in general. I think this is a perfect perfect um it should be a perfect role for him in year one because he won't truly be the alpha receiver in seattle as a rookie but he'll also kind of had have tyler lockett being able to stretch the field through the interior and maybe drop you know some some easier coverage on the outside for him i i think this sets up very 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 well for metcalf and for russell wilson who happens to be like the best deep ball thrower in the <laughs> nfl I mean, it's just, it's a really, really good situation for Metcalf, too. Uh, um, That's okay. A lot of agreement so far. Let's keep this rolling here. Let's see if we can go. So, Joe Flacco doesn't want to mentor Drew Locke, which is probably a good thing for Drew Locke, but that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about Joe Flacco with the receivers and this situation here. And I'm sure that you and everybody knows at this point, like, I call him Deshaun because I love Deshaun Hamilton. Uh, I have. I had got the jersey because he helped me win that league without a kicker as <laughs> so it came down to it. But I think Flacco 
with Hamilton, for my opinion, and maybe I'm colored in the fact that I like Hamilton so much, Graham, that it's slanting my opinion. I don't think it is, but I, this is why I have somebody like you to talk to to kind of get that outside perspective. Is I think because it's Flacco, because we know how Flacco attacks the passing game, I think Hamilton, if Flacco plays at least 10 games, I think Locke comes in at some point, but if, he, if Flacco plays the majority of games at quarterback, I think Hamilton outperforms Sutton in it, like all formats, not just PPR, but half-point PPR, and it probably gets close in non-PPR. Oh, yeah. Man, I'm fully on this because just from a cost perspective, like I love to play the cost game in these types of situations, right? I mean, Emmanuel Sanders pops his Achilles. I will be surprised if he does not land on the PUP list to start the year. Absolutely. Um, Cortland Sutton goes in the ninth or 10th round of most best ball drafts, but you can easily target Deshaun Hamilton in the 14th, 15th, 16th round. And based on you know last year, the very limited sample we got, with Sutton and Hamilton, I don't particularly think there should be a huge gulf in their ADPs between Sutton and Hamilton. They both have the same opportunity. They'll both be full-time players on the field in theory without Emmanuel Sanders. For me, man, like the only Denver Broncos pass catchers I'm targeting this year is, is Fant, super late, and for sure Deshaun Hamilton. I think I, I might have just single-handedly increased his ADP a little bit because <laughs> we're doing a, a PFF mock that I'm in, and I took him with the second pick of the seventh round. <laughs> Ooh, wow. That is spicy. That <laughs> I mean, I'm making spicy. a statement. I'm like, not like a statement as in like, Ooh, look at me. But in my opinion, so Will Fuller just came off the board. I'm taking him in front of Will Fuller. Uh, I would have taken Robbie Anderson, but in my opinion, that's what I want to say is like, I have him as a top 25 to 30 wide receiver. And I'm drafting as a, like, the reason I did it is, again, not to be like, look at me, but I'm drafting as if I'm drafting from two months from now. And two months from now, I believe Deshaun Hamilton, if people are paying attention, should be in that range ahead of the rookies, ahead of the other fringe wide receivers in that three, four range. And that's why, so like, if I'm there and I'm worried that somebody like you is in the draft with me, you know what? He's going to be my third receiver. I paired him with T.Y. Hilton and Sammy Watkins. Yeah, I, I don't have him that high. And I'll be honest, man, you probably will be the highest on the industry in him, but I have him in like the receiver 40 range and that's still way, way higher than ADP right now. Like Sutton and Hamilton's respective cost golf golfs just don't make any sense. So yeah. yeah and that's the thing is that yeah, I would take them before Sutton. Would you take um Marvin Jones or Deshaun Hamilton? I'm still taking Marvin Jones uh, just because I, mean, I actually they, have Hamilton one spot in front of him. That's why I asked. Yeah. I'm still taking Marv Jones and, and Will Fuller and pretty much like Dante Pettis. But I think I think where it gets closer for me, if you really want to get down into it for, for Deshaun is like the Corey Davis's like that kind of back end like receiver three, four range. Then I think I could pull the trigger on Deshaun. But right now he's just so, so he's too cheap, man, regardless. Yeah, yeah. To your point, oh, a thousand percent. By the way, Corey Davis, 24th wide receiver off the board two rounds earlier. So just for compare, like you just never know who you're drafting with when it comes to that. So speaking of that, let's bring up one more who is a rookie whose hype is going through the ceiling, and understandably so because of the offense he plays in and because of his skill set matching the former player, well, we're assuming former player in that position. Cole Hardman, where are you on this? Because, you know, we see the draft and it's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. This is exactly what they needed. They fit, they, you know, perfect replacement. And then, of course, you get the immediate pushback because, like, oh, hold your horses. He's still a rookie. He's still a rookie wide receiver that has to do this. We've 
had rookie wide receivers. We have the class of the Odell Beckham, Mike, like all that. We've had the success stories of them becoming wide receiver ones, but we do know more often than not, it does take some time, if not even at least the first half of their first season. Are you on a Hardman should be a third, a wide receiver three, or are you on the Coolier Jets? Let's make sure he's even starting ahead of Demarcus Robinson. I'm kind of right down the middle on Hardman. Um, first things first, I, I don't think people have realized just how good of a route runner Tyreek Hill is at this point of his career. He is not just a deep threat. Like, he is legitimately one of the three or four best route runners in the NFL. And I, I kind of found it preposterous that the immediate reaction is, oh, Mecole Hardman runs a 4-3-3. He has track speed. He can immediately replace Tyreek Hill. Get, get out of here. Like, I, either you just think Tyreek Hill is just, you know, running straight past people or you're just really not paying attention. But Hill is literally one of the best receiver, um, route runners in the NFL at this point. He's worked on that. Mecole um, Hardman has a long way to go to become even a – remotely uh, NFL caliber route runner, in my opinion. He only caught 60 balls at Georgia um, and playing on kind of a slow-ish Georgia offense. I'm kind of right in the middle, man. Like, I just – I have no idea how the Tyreek Hill situation is going to play out. Um, He could either end up legitimately in jail or just on the NFL's commissioner list. I think it's a stretch to say he'll play at all in 2019. I think we know that for sure. Um, oh, do we? I mean, it seems like it's like, here's six games, here's 10 games, here's like eight. Like, you just, I'm with you. Like, I think we're all assuming he's not even going to see the field in 2019, but at the same time, it wouldn't, I hate to say it, it wouldn't shock me if it was like eight games. Like, it just, we just never know. Right, right. We do never know. But based on, based on the, the history that he's had with his now fiance, girlfriend, Crystal, and right. uh, I don't see him getting off that easy. Uh, that said, I think the biggest the, the biggest boost here goes to Sammy Watkins, right? I mean, that, that, that's I mean, I know, I know Sammy Watkins has burned myself and so many people in the past before, but he's just walking into so much opportunity, regardless of how this Hill situation plays out. Because if he only gets eight games, um, Sammy Watkins is going to be the number one receiver on the Chiefs for eight weeks uh, without Tyree Kill. I right now I've been targeting Hardman in my best ball leagues in like that ninth, 10th, 11th round turn area, just because receiver is so kind of bearing in that range. And it makes sense to just start taking shots on, um, you know, speedy guys attached to great offenses. At the very least, I expect Hardman to be a pretty good deep threat from Holmes in year one, but I am not expecting him to come out and be like the top uh, rookie fantasy receiver. I mean, unless he takes just massive, massive unprecedented strides. Uh, I, I think so. I'm with you as well. Kind of in that right now I have um just I have him wide receiver 39. And that's a lot more to do with opportunity than to your point, the skill, because he does have a long way to go. I completely agree with you. And to be honest, if we start rolling into like at that point, I still think that's weighing more downside potential than there is upside because if we get to August and all of a sudden it's hey, he's the third wide receiver in three wide sets and maybe even rotating with Demarcus Robinson on the, like if he's not seeing a full complement of snaps, that's too high. Yeah. Agreed. I have Hardman at wide receiver 46. He's behind. Yeah, not that far away. Yeah. Geronimo Allison, DD Westbrook, James Washington. Like I'm still drafting. Oh, I'm so glad guys. you said James Washington. Shh. Yeah. Shh. I know. He, he's, <laughs> he's another one who stayed way too cheap, man. Um, but yeah, he's I'm drafting, ridiculous. I'm drafting all those guys over. Him. Hey, you, you want a little nugget? I'm sure my listeners know this. I actually spoke to Mike Tomlin cause he does this Hampton Rose youth football foundation thing every single year here in, in Hampton Rose, Virginia beach area. Cool. And I asked him last year cause I'm a big James Washington fan from college. 
And I said, this was just kind of us talking. And I said, you know, what are your, what's your real opinion on James Washington? And I said, you know, I'm selfishly asking as like a fantasy owner. And he goes, I'll tell you, this is like, he goes, he looks at me and goes, I'll just tell you exactly how I felt. I felt that I loved him just as much as I loved Juju Smith-Schuster the year before when we drafted him. So yeah. that's all you need to know about how Tomlin feels about him. So uh, I'm super excited about him. Here's the flip side one that people, I don't know that you'll find a lot of people loving this person. <laughs> Let's talk some running backs, especially from the creator of Yards Created. Ronald Jones, the Buccaneers running back situation is an interesting one for several reasons, Graham, because there's so many, I feel like you, everybody can make an argument and you can say, you know what, you have a point. Because you could come with the argument of the Buccaneers really didn't address the position. And maybe that's saying, hey, Ronald Jones, is there's, there's, there's hope here. There's still hope for somebody who was just drafted last year as highly as he was. There's the flip side of saying, well, maybe that's true, but it's actually they feel fine with Peyton Barber. There's a flip side of saying, well, you know, it's Bruce Arians. He likes his pass catching running backs. And maybe this is going to be a collection of everybody has a role like where are you coming down on this whole situation and in your opinion as Ronald Jones as a whole in general? Right. My, my initial lean right now in May is just to draft Peyton Barber um, and kind of move on with my life. Uh, <laughs> I think people need to, remind it, need to be reminded that Ronald Jones was out-snapped in the preseason by Jaquiz Rogers. Um, I think also people need to be reminded, too, that the Bucks season was dead by the middle of last season, and Ronald Jones played nine snaps in the Bucks' final five games. Um, the only hype that basically the only hype that's surrounded Ronald Jones this offseason has come from the GM, Jason Licht. And he basically said the coaching staff is giving Ronald Jones a second chance in so many words. I was not particularly high on Ronald Jones coming out um, through yards created. I found him kind of to be an enigma. And I mean, I'm just I, I get that people want to believe in the talent and believe in the draft capital. I mean, Ronald Jones was shockingly, I think he went like 40 or 42nd overall last year, 38 overall, uh, somewhere in that range. And um, I, I think people are still attached to that and they're kind of their pre-draft takes him without um, kind of all the other information that we've seen with Rojo over the past you know year that since he's been drafted. Um I'm going to fully expect a running back by committee um, and I'm just going to hopefully take the guy who scores the touchdowns. And I'm right now betting on it being Peyton Barber, but in general, I'm all of my bucks fantasy investment is coming through their passing game this year. New and a lot of Chris Godwin, I'm assuming. Yeah. Chris Godwin, that (laughs) fifth round is Chris Godwin in the fifth round is, is pretty nice. Chris Godwin actually went with the last pick of the fourth round in that draft. And I was hoping when I came back around, I had Sammy Watkins and I was hoping, but I guess who was drafting behind me is Evan Silva. And he's smart enough to not let Chris Godwin get back. Actually, his fourth, fifth turn was Chris Godwin and Tyler Lockett. Well done, Evan Silva. Well done. Yeah, that, that's actually a fun one is Godwin versus Lockett this year. Because I, I actually, I think they're both willing and deserving of being like the late fourth, early fifth round range. Yeah, and that's exactly. I actually have where I'm looking right now where I have both of them. I have both inside my top 20. I know that. I have, I have Lockett 16, Godwin 18. So there yeah, you go. Yeah, I've, I've got Godwin 19 and Lockett 20. So, yeah. so there you go. And Kenny Galladay sandwiched in there for me. Yep. You got Kenny Galladay in that mix? Yeah, I got Galladay at 17, Cup at 18. So there, oh, Cup too. Thank you. Yeah. Is, well, hold on. is Cup the highest of your Rams? No, Woods. Uh, Just just barely. Yeah, there's, I think I have them bare, like I actually go cup cooks woods, but I mean, they're, they're within, they're all within five spots of each other. Like it's literally from 19 to 24. <laughs> yeah. They've all just been such solid receiver twos, even with all three of them in the lineup. 
Yeah, uh, I, you're you're 100 right. But all right, sticking with running backs. Now, this isn't going to be like a yards graded thing because this running back's been around for a while here. But I, if you want to talk that, of course. But my question with Devontae Freeman is not so much that and the skill and what he brings to this team. I, is are you even in on him? Because I think I'm going to have zero ownership. A perfect example. He went in the middle of the third round, RB 15 in this draft that I was talking about. And for me, that's still too high. Even looking at the running backs that went after him, I just I can't pull the trigger because the injury history has stacked up so much and he's not changing his running style. His running style leads to injuries, let alone the concussions on top of it. So are you completely out on Devontae Freeman? Are you taking him in the fact of the argument out there being, I get him for an RB2 price, this guy has top five running back potential? The injuries, let, let's talk about the injuries for uh, just in a second here, but First, let's go back to the opportunity. Tevin Coleman is gone now. Uh, last year, he still quietly saw 167 carries and 44 targets. Um, obviously, Devonta Freeman missed most of the year last year, and Coleman kind of played in an RB, you know, like a running back by committee role with Edo Smith. But Edo Smith, in his limited sample size, albeit behind a banged up Falcons offensive line, was not very efficient. Devonta Freeman is walking into a ton of opportunity this year, but now the question remains. Exactly. Does he stay healthy? Last year just had a laundry list of problems. It was actually a groin injury that um, that that put him on IR. But he dealt with uh, a knee issue, foot issue. He's had concussion history. There's definitely an extensive injury history there. But Jake, we're kind of getting a, we're getting that discount. Like we're it's not like Devonta Freeman's still a second round pick like he has been in the last two years. We're getting a full round discount on a player who should have more opportunity. Um, coming off, yes, he's coming off an injury-riddled season, but he's had a year to, you know, kind of get back to full health from those, uh, from all of those injuries. Devonta Freeman too is only 27, 28 years old. I'm kind of still taking him in that third round range. It mm. sounds like you're you're way off of him. I have him as my RB 13. Um, he's I have, him as, I have him RB 20. Yeah, I, I have him ahead of Damian Williams, uh, Leo Fournette, uh, Mark Ingram, Josh Jacobs that whole tier, but I, I cannot rank him much higher than 13th. Like I, there's no way I can put him above Dalvin cook and, and Nick Chubb and those guys. I still kind of like Devonta Freeman quite a bit. Uh, and that's fair. And I, you know, that's, Hey, look for, this is good that we were actually, you know, a little bit on different sides for a change in this show today, but you know, this has come to the perspectives and why I ask you about these guys. Yeah, I, I am completely, you know, in, to be honest with you, when I did my projections, point-wise and a half-point PPR, I'll just I'll give everybody a little bit of tease. I have him at 162 fantasy points. You jump up to RB14, and he's 182. So it's not a huge gap. I mean, that's significant, but it's not like I, you know, I'm burying the guy. I just have a legitimate snap concern. Uh, I think that I'm not saying Olsen's going to steal a lot from him, but I think that it's enough that between him and Ito Smith that they maybe check him in around the 15 touches, and I say touches, not carries per game, to keep him healthy. And then if he misses time, but I, and I, I see that. I, I think you're right that you're baking in the risk at this point, but I, I have all those guys, as you mentioned. I have Damian Williams, Jacobs, Henry, Fournette, Mack, and Geis, which is the next one I want to talk about because I have Geis in front of them, and people will call me crazy. People call me crazy because I'm going to reference, again, this is a good reference point for, the, for what we're talking about today is that mock draft that we're doing. I took Geis at the beginning of the fifth round, and now this early, it's tough because I look at it two ways, Graham, and I get your opinion. And then this is this is a good one, too, because you just covered him last year for your R's created, is Geis this early is either going to be a significant discount because if he is 100%, in my opinion, we're talking about a borderline RB1 
given the assumed workload with Chris Thompson coming off the injury himself as well, and the talent I believe in of Darius Geis. On the flip side, if we see the Dalvin Cook situation from last year where it's, hey, he's behind schedule, hey, he's not recovering as quickly as we thought, by August, this is going to be like, you took him two rounds early. Yeah. Darius Geis has the widest range of outcomes among the top 30 running backs, I think. Um, Towards ACL in the preseason last year, then had to have two additional surgeries to go in and clean up some of the problems that were persisting in the knee. Um, the, uh, the Redskins uh, team and, and beats have been kind of optimistic on guys, but I think in general, they are cautiously optimistic and I'm very cautiously optimistic too. I will not be drafting Darius guys on any of my teams in the fifth round, uh, just, <laughs> just because of the knee issues. And honestly, man, just because the, I don't know if Washington's offense is going to be good enough to really support uh, Darius Geis plus Chris Thompson if, if healthy. And that's kind of my other thing, too, is if Chris Thompson is healthy, which he has not been consistently over the past couple of years, but when he is healthy, he plays a ton for Washington. Does Darius Geis come out and play passing down snaps basically as a rookie um, playing in his second year? There's, there's a lot of question marks that I have around Geis. And, and for me, there's a lot of receivers going in that fourth, fifth, sixth range that I like quite a bit more than Geis at this point. But if we get a clean bill of health on Geis, uh, you know, hopefully by July, of August, July or August, and he's trending towards 100%, I'm definitely willing to change my opinion here. But right now, based on what we know and based on all of this, you know, the three different surgeries he's had, I've, I'm, uh, Darius Geis is kind of on my do not draft list right now. And, and that's fair. And to go back, and I'm not trying to like slam the hell out of this draft, but this is why you do mock drafts because this is a good one because when I went into it, I was like, you know what? Darius Geis is still there. To your point, has the widest range. He could be an RB1. I could potentially be getting an RB1 in the fifth round. Plus, at the time, I was looking at him like, Mike Williams, Allen Robinson, Tyler Boyd, Robbie Anderson, Sterling Shepard are all still on the board. Like, maybe one of those slips back to me, especially because we're getting into that running back run for people who went wide receiver heavy. And guess what? All of those wide receivers went. And when I'm sitting there at the sixth round, I was sitting going, you know what? I, sh- I want, I should have passed on Geist, taken another wide receiver. And now I could have maybe even taken him if he was here or just pivoted elsewhere. So, to your point, too, is fifth round probably even still a little bit too pricey at this point because of your, what your team construction might be. But, to continue with running backs, somebody who went, speaking of that sixth pick, to Evan Silva with the first pick of the seventh round, Darrell Henderson. Now, this is going to be interesting because there's varying opinions on him. I am, and I don't know if you are, I am an extremely high fan of Darrell Henderson. I had two people in my RB1 tier. It was Jacobs and Henderson. And I had a lot of people in my RB2. And I said a lot was going to depend on landing spot. And I got super excited about this as soon as they drafted him. Because, again, I am a big fan of Henderson. I said, ooh, he's going to the Rams. And Todd Gurley's arthritic 75-year-old knee. Oh, my God, I want so much Darrell Henderson. But then, I'm sure you saw it, Graham. We get the McVay comments about Malcolm Brown being a three-down running back, just like Todd Gurley. And we brought in Henderson specifically so we could have a change of pace running back all of the time. Where are you, Darrell Henderson, the talent? And then two, whether you think he's even going to, like, say Todd Gurley is sidelined. Do you think he even gets the lead share from that comment made by McVay and the team? Let, let's start with the talent first. Um, he, Darrell Henderson, led all draft-eligible running backs in yards created per attempt. Yeah. He also led all... He also led all draft eligible running backs yards <laughs> gain per route run. Um, I I comped and I I was not comparing Darrell Henderson to this player, but I said Darrell Henderson will succeed best 
in an Alvin Kamara role in the NFL. I wrote that in April and my yards created breakdown and the Rams GM Les Snead just a couple weeks ago said, we view Darrell Henderson as an Alvin Kamara type player. I have no idea what is going on with Todd Gurley's knee. I won't pretend to know. I just know the facts. Um, Todd Gurley was left off the field in the postseason during the Rams Super Bowl run in favor, and over, in favor of an overweight C.J. Anderson. A CBS Sports, um, a CBS Sports reported this, this uh, in February or March that he, the Rams are potentially thinking about using stem cells to kind of help Gurley uh, with his arthritis. The team then signs. That still feels so science futuristic to me, but go ahead. No, it does. I know it's crazy. The stem cell can be, can be used in this way. Now it's kind of, it's kind of remarkable, but then the team goes out and re-signs a Malcolm Brown. Uh, They match the lines offer sheet, offer sheet for Malcolm Brown. And then Jake, they trade up for Darrell Henderson at 70 overall. This is a Rams team that is not exactly um, just flush with draft capital either. They moved up to take a running back. I'm kind of with you. I have been targeting Henderson in the eighth, ninth, 10th round of, of my best ball leagues, just because I think he can be a league winner in this offense. Um, if Todd Gurley's knee is truly not 100%, but we are not going to get any sort of actual information about how the Rams view Todd Gurley's knee, how they view Daryl Henderson's role until week one. The Rams aren't going to play anybody in the preseason. Sean McVay has already lied about Todd Gurley's knee on record multiple times. I mean, CJ Anderson had to come out and basically say, yeah, his knee is hurting him after the Super Bowl. <laughs> um, I don't believe Sean McVay, any word Sean McVay utters about Todd Gurley's knee from now until September, I'm just going to ignore. And we're going to have to see how this plays out on the field. But based on everything that we do know, Darrell Henderson is more than worth an eighth, ninth, 10th round pick. And I fully expect his the hype train is going to start building probably around now. And it's going to come to a point where he might get priced out for redraft, but for dynasty. Yeah. I'm hammering away. I'm trying to get Daryl Henderson in all my dynasty leagues. I love it. I love it. And to your point about being priced out, I feel like, I don't know. I just kind of feel like by August, if this goes the way that you and I are both expecting, and other people too, but the way they were expecting, he's going to turn into that D'Angelo Williams, Le'Veon Bell backup, where he's all of a sudden being drafted at like the fifth, sixth round. Yeah, that yeah, the D'Angelo Williams backup year when he got drafted in the sixth round, that was that was fun. Yeah, yeah, that was that was very interesting. All right, so let's continue. A few more before we get out of here. Uh, you mentioned him before, and you have Devontae Freeman in front of Damian Williams. Was it one spot or two spots? I know they were close by. I have Freeman at thirteen and Williams at fourteen, so literally back to back. Okay, and I have Williams a little bit higher than you. We already covered the Freeman part. I have Williams at 12, and I thought at the time the signing was clear, the fact of, look, we already know. We know that Andy Reid uses his running back and uses his running back and uses his running back, and the second, third option. Don't see a lot of touches, and I thought the signing made a lot of sense for the fact of, hey, you bring in Hyde with something goes wrong with Damian Williams, whether he reverts back to the Dolphins version of Damian Williams or he gets hurt, you have somebody that can – Pretty much do a lot of what in a different style a little bit, but can do everything. We've seen Carlos Hyde do everything, and then you get the people talking about and you know a sixth round running back draft. Like, look, it's still Andy Reid's offense. It's still what we saw last year. Is Damian Williams can handle it? He was the number one running back, I think, from what was it, the last six weeks or what, or just number two or three or somewhere top five. We'll say that. I don't know the numbers off the top of my head. As you can tell, I've been doing way too much podcasts and get all the numbers mixed together. He was in the top five. I know that the last couple weeks of the season. And I have no problem taking Damian Williams where I did. And as mentioned before, the second pick of the third round, if I went wide receiver first, I don't think I'd even have a problem taking him late second, Graham. But uh, this one, this feels like another one where I'm a little bit higher than you are. 
Um, I actually don't think so. I mean, I, I've kind of, I think okay. I've kind of just resided that I'm just going to be kind of not necessarily overweight or underweight on Damian Williams at all this year. Um, just take I, it when you get him. Yeah, and it's it's mainly just because Carlos Hyde is such a poor pass catcher, and we know the Chiefs are going to have to throw a ton this year because their defense is even worse than it was last year. Um, and I fully expect Damian Williams to to play on passing downs over Carlos Hyde. I mean, since Carlos Hyde entered the NFL, Jake, he is dead last, dead last in yards after the catch among running backs. <laughs> um, he has not been a good or proficient pass catcher at any point in his career. Um, and That's because that reason, he like stops to catch the ball. <laughs> like, hold just, on, let me catch it. Okay, let me turn around. Okay, now I'm going to try and run. You know, he coming out, he was not a natural. Carlos Hyde was not a natural pass catcher, and it's one of those things I think he's had to work on. Just you know, getting more comfortable actually catching balls. But yeah, he just has no explosiveness whatsoever as a receiver. <laughs> it's probably because he's just not a natural pass catcher. But yeah, um, because Damian Williams can play in the passing game, we saw him succeeded pretty much and do all of the things that Kareem Hunt uh, did. And it was a limited sample size last year, but he was a competent receiver. And uh, we know running backs are, can, are largely replaceable on the ground. Um, I think pretty much any running back that is attached to this offense will be very hard pressed to not put up at least RB2 numbers. And uh, Damian Williams has, has the potential to put up RB1 numbers because we've seen him do it already. Yeah. All right. That, that's hey, I, yeah, I'm with you. Are you anything or any interest in the Darwin Thompson? Like, hey, 14th round, I'll just stash him in case something happens. Eh. Yeah. See, that's eh. kind of how I am. I think people are a little too excited about Darwin Thompson just because it's like the Chiefs. Like, forget this is the same. I feel like it's the same group of people that were so excited about Darrell Williams last year or Daryl Williams. I, I never know. See, like, Terrell Owens screwed this up for us. Like, you never know if it's. Daryl or Darrell or Terrell or Terrell like, all screw, screwed it up. And then you now, you now, now you never know. I, I think people just need to say some things out loud and see if it makes sense in their heads. Like when they say it out loud, Darwin Thompson was a six round pick who didn't get invited to the combine. Do we really think he's going to be fantasy relevant over Damian Williams and Carlos Hyde this year? You say that out loud. And if it makes sense in your head, that's great. But for me, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> if it makes sense in your head, get your head checked. Uh, play in our leagues. <laughs> I mean, Darwin, Darwin Thompson's 5'8 and 200 pounds, and he didn't get invited to the combine. I mean, I, I, I realize the combine is not the be-all, end-all, and there have definitely been uh, some big misses like Philip Lindsay who have not gotten invited to the combine or, and not been particularly hyped up. Uh, but these are very, very, very low-probability events, and he only played <laughs> one year of FBS football. One year. Yeah. I, I just I don't see I don't see the reason, but oh, I'm with you. I'm, that's, everyone, I'm everyone everyone finds their their rookies that they fall in love with and they get overhyped and it, it seems like Darwin Thompson might be one of those guys. It's it's the Chiefs effect. I mean, we've seen that before. All right, these are two quick hit ones because I want I want to make sure we get to the last two and I don't want to keep you forever. Quick hit version: Are you worried worried at all about Nick Chubb with Kareem Hunt coming back after ten weeks, or are you on my side of things where even when he comes back, I don't think Kareem Hunt actually eats in as much as people expect him to. Fully agreed. Fully agreed. Okay. I'm, I mean, yeah, I'm hammering Nick Chubb as I normally would in the second, third round. And um, yeah, I think when, when Hunt does come back, it might be a slow burn, at least for this season. For 2019, it's going to be a slow burn for Kareem Hunt to get on the field and severely impact Nick Chubb in a way that like, you know, bothers us for fantasy, I think. Yeah. Okay. I'm with you. And I, I mentioned this like time and time and time again, people forget that there was the argument. People were making this argument that Nick Chubb was better than Todd Gurley before he blew out his knees 17 different directions in college from that same team. So 
Don't, don't, that's the talent that we're finally seeing now that he's back near 100%. Ryquel Armstead, one of your favorite handcuffs, because guess who he's playing behind? The guy only gets hurt every single season he's been in the NFL. Granted, it's only been two, but Ryquel Armstead, are you, are you all over the he's a must grab in the middle rounds? I do kind of like Armstead a little bit, but I'm actually for the same. Re- it's weird for the same reason. I'm kind of in on Freeman. I'm back in on Fournette just because we are getting that injury discount. You know, it's one of those. It's one of those things where if a running back has an injury history, but their ADP doesn't change too much, like we're actually getting pretty big discounts at times on both Freeman and Fournette, and we both know our, they can be RB ones, and they have no one behind them on the respective depth charts, and both the Jags and Falcons have invested heavily into their offensive lines in the past years. I'm still back in on Freeman and Fournette, Fournette to a slightly lesser extent. Um, of course, I mean, I mean, Ryquel Armstead and Alfred Blue, we could both be talking about these guys as, you know, <laughs> low-end low end RB2 flex plays come week eight because Leonard Fournette can't get on the field again. Am I the only one that feels like Alfred Blue's been around for 15 years? Um, uh, good friend Matt Harmon, uh, he he always has a joke that it's a, it's a rite of ritual every single year that Alfred Blue has at least one 20-carry game. And he might very well get a 20-carry game in Jacksonville this season. <laughs> I could definitely say, do you know how, without looking, do you know how old Alfred Blue is? He's like, he's got to be like 27. He's been, he, it feels like he's been around for a while, but I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. He just turned 28. Okay. April twenty seventh. I'll give you that point. I'll give you. I'll give you half a point. You're close enough. So, so there you go for that one. Uh, I'm gonna ask you a question that's gonna kind of tra- sound like I'm gonna contradict myself when I say it, but it, it it's kind of more of a tongue in cheek thing. So the Ravens running back situation. I joke for the past four years now that it's always the running back nobody's talking about that you want for the Ravens, and it legitimately has been. Like it was supposed to be Forsett that one year and he got usurped because he got hurt. But the year before that, when Forsett took over, like nobody wanted Justin Forsett. And then it's always the guy, like Gus Edwards, there's always somebody else that is like the one that's like, it's not even the second running back or the third. It's the one nobody even knows his name. So if we're talking about the Ravens right now, it feels like it should be like, forget the guys we even know from last year. Do they have like some backup fourth stringer off the practice squad? Like, cause people know justice Hill, like even forget him. It should maybe like Tyler Irvin, the cast off from the Texans. And I say all that tongue in cheek with the follow-up question being is Mark Ingram being underrated for what running backs can do with the Ravens, even before they got Lamar Jackson. And for the fact that I cut I'll, this is another one where I'll present my side of it and see where you come from it is I feel like Mark Ingram and Justice Hill might be the reverse Mark Ingram Camara from the Saints where Ingram is the more valuable one, but they also have similar roles to what they just, you know, had from college and from the Saints. I am. I, I mean, let's, let's start this conversation about Mark Ingram first. Where do you have Ingram in your ranks? Uh, uh, let me go back and double check. I want to guess off the, no, no, no. It's, I, I want to guess off the, ah, I was right. 19. One spot, think, one spot in front of Devontae Freeman. <laughs> I think, I think I might be, um, legitimately the highest on Mark Ingram in the industry or one of them. Mm. Cause I haven't, yeah, I have an RB 15 and I, I haven't seen him I too like much from, from people that I, um, that I really respect and follow. Um, but it's for all the reasons that you would kind of expect, but just to kind of hear them out loud really is absurd. I mean, do you want to guess where he went in this draft? Fifth round? Yeah, middle of the fifth round, yeah. RB 27 off the board. Yeah, I was ticked off. <laughs> I, I think I've done, um, I've done like 12 best ball drafts so far, and I think Mark Ingram's been on six of them. Um, wow. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm hammering in the fourth you round. You want to guess who took it? 
Silva? No, Fabiano. No. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Fab's actually Fab's is a big, uh, big Mark Ingram fan too. We're both big Mark Ingram fans. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the reasons are simple. I mean, Lamar Jackson takes over, and in that, um, in the stretch that when Jackson was the starter, I mean, Baltimore running backs were second in carries per game and first in yards per carry and first in rushing yards per game. I, I want Mark Ingram. <laughs> I want the number one running back on an offense that is expected to to just, I mean go nuts in terms of the rushing output on my fantasy teams. And uh, they invested heavily into him and Gus Edwards and both Ken Dixon are going to be free agents next year. Um, I'm kind of with you. I think Ingram and Hill might end up being the one, two punch, even though I did like Ken Dixon quite a bit when he played last season. I think everybody did. I think Ken Dixon, he, he kind of feels like he's going down the route of the Kristen Michael, Jeff Janice, the, although I was never a Jeff Janice, but you get the point. Hey, the comparison of those guys. They, I actually pulled up their depth chart just to see. I'm a, I, if, if I'm in a best ball, I'm going to go throw out a flyer on Christopher Azalea. I'm going to just, just to do it because I don't even know who that is. I'm not going to even lie. I don't know who that is. Oh, man. Yeah, the, the, the Ravens are going to care. It'll be interesting to see if they do carry. Oh, hold on. How can I get you on board with him? Tell me this doesn't sound like a Ravens running back. He's 5'11, 243. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's a fullback then. That's a fullback, <laughs> man. Um, I wonder what the Ravens will do at the end, though. Like, I wonder if they carry four running backs on their roster and none of them play special teams because Ingram is for sure not playing special teams. Gus Edwards right. is for not playing special teams. I don't think Ken Dixon has played special teams. Maybe he did as a rookie, but with all of his injuries, it's been hard for him to get on the field and maybe Justice Hill plays special teams. I- I'm not sure. I yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Dixon's even not even on the team just because they cut at this point, because you got to remember, they brought in Seth Roberts too. Not that they, they still have Willie Sneed. They drafted Blakin and Brown, and then you go down the list, and I'm looking at it right now. They still have Chris Moore. They still have Lastly. They still have Antoine Wesley, who they drafted this year. They picked up Jalen Smith later on. So, I mean, I'm with you. I, I I'm looking at this, and it's like it feels like a bloated roster right now. But I think they're just kind of you know throw as many darts as you can possibly throw, and then hopefully you hit on a couple and see what happens. It'll be interesting for sure. And then of course you have the quarterbacks. Are they going to carry three with Griffin and McSorley? So I don't know if you have the room to your point because they're also one of the few teams that still have a fullback in Patrick Ricard. So that's going to be an interesting one to watch. Let's get out of here with this one. You tweeted this earlier, and actually this was yesterday, and I saw it retweeted into my timeline. I missed it yesterday. It's a good one because here's another person, and we're just going to agree. I'll let everybody know right now. We're in agreement on this one. It was your James Conner tweet, and you're talking about James Conner didn't see him. I'm going to just tell everybody the tweet. James Conner didn't see the monster usage Le'Veon Bell once did, but he easily had one of the best roles among running backs last year, trailed only McCaffrey, Gurley, Zeke, and Barkley, and snap rate. And I feel like people are scared that it's going to be different this year, and I'm not. I've seen – well, based on the responses from my tweet, I was very surprised to see that people think Benny Snell and – Benny Snell is going to come in and basically – you know, turn this into a running back by committee. Jalen they know Samuels. Benny Snell is not that good, right? Well, I'll, I'll refrain from calling Benny Snell not good just for a second here and go <laughs> back to the history. Pittsburgh has been using one running back, one workhorse running back, regardless of Le'Veon Bell. Regardless. I mean, Le'Veon Bell just happened to have just this absurd role where he played like 93% of snaps and saw like 29 opportunities per game between his carries and targets. James Connell won't touch that again. It, that, that, that type of role in Pittsburgh might not, we might not ever see that again, but right. when, when Lev Bell went down and D'Angelo Williams um, 
was the starter, he was a workhorse player. They, they even went as deep in the playoffs. And I think 2015, 2016, Fitzgerald Toussaint had to start a game and they ended up using him on like 65, 70% of snaps. I mean, the Steelers every single year, Mike Tomlin always wants to have just one workhorse running back. And James Conner was that last year. I mean, he finished sixth among all running backs and carries per game. Uh, you mentioned the snap rate. He was fourth among all running backs and routes run per game. Um, I'm, I'm buying James Conner as much as I can get him in the late first round this year um, because I think people are going to be too low on Pittsburgh. They're going to not understand that the Steelers have always used a workhorse running back, and they're also not necessarily following just how great James Conner's usage was last year uh, because he, he truly was one of the five or six – like he had one of the five or six best roles for four fantasy running back in those 13 games last season. Yeah, uh, and I'm with you a lot on that. Uh, so, refrain, are, are you a little bit higher on Betty Snell? Or you just you just didn't want to agree. Well, I mean, here's what I said about Benny Snell. He's he's Jordan Howard. Like everybody can do what he does. Like there's nothing special. Yeah, there's a Benny Snell in every draft. But the Steelers love their big body running backs, and that's fair. And their their depth chart behind James Conner is suspect at best. Um, Jalen Samuels is best used. I think is kind of like a pass catcher slash like jack of all right his role like so basically if james Conner goes down you're in agreement that the samuels role is not going to change that's where the upside of snell is is that if you look at a team that could get the most out of snell in a great situation he did end up like that side of things is actually a good thing bingo i I don't have to say anything it's perfect because i mean yeah (laughs) i don't i don't think uh, they they jalen when jalen samuels was forced to start last year that was just because they had nothing else on the depth chart now they do yeah all right, fair enough. Before you get out of here one more time, uh, follow you at Graham Barfield and then tell everybody once again about the app, everything you got going on. Make sure in case they tune in later, skip through the episode. Just uh, go ahead and pimp yourself again. Yeah, um, new fantasy app is out. Go download it now on iOS or wherever you get your apps. I think it's, I don't want to tell people wrong, but I'm almost positive it's on Android, up on Android right now. But I know for sure it's up on iOS. So go hey, check I it out. I get an iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> well, or, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can either you can either make your life simple and have an iPhone, or be actually someone who knows technology. <laughs> Everyone who actually knows anything about any techno, te, uh, software, like technological software, has an Android. But yeah, go check out the new Fantasy app; it's pretty cool. Good deal. And then check out Graham, of course, at NFL.com, on the NFL Network, on this podcast. And there's so much going on over there. Always great stuff. Check out yardscreated.com. Make sure, like all the stuff he was talking about before, this is why I knew some of his answers before he even said them. It's a great follow. And I'll be back, as always, next week. If I said, go to theathletic.com slash all sports. 30% off for you guys. And all the other podcasts are there. Thanks, as always. I'll see you next week.